Welcome back to Streamageddon, the TV and streaming podcast that is always looking for a strategic partnership with you, dear listener. I'm your host, Chris Barlow, and I am joined in the Streamageddon War Room with Commandant Diane Nora. How are you, Diane? Oh, I'm hanging in there, staying strong. As am I. Uh, Doing what we can. This is finally an emergency podcast. And of course, the reason is because Hollywood is over. It's just ended. We're here to uh, mourn. It's an in-memoriam reel. We'll cue up the music. Maybe John Legend will perform. Unless he's in SAG-AFTRA, in which case he is not allowed to perform right now. I think he could perform for us personally, just like as a friend. True. We're not signatories to the AMPTP (laughs) and not looking to be signatories to the AMPTP anytime soon. But if you don't know what all these letters and words mean, don't worry. We're here to catch you up on the latest streaming news about, yes, the dual strike in Hollywood, but also some uh, really interesting conversations with Bob Iger, the return of our favorite segment, What's That, Bob? Coming in about 10, 15 minutes here on this very special episode of the Streamageddon podcast. Uh, And no big review this week. We are so busy streaming the news, we did not have time to stream an entire series for you. But if you're looking for a little morsel of review, Diane and I each have a series to recommend for you at the end of the episode. Diane, no spoilers. I do not want to know your recommendation until we get there. My lips are sealed. As am mine. And I will unseal them now to transition us to a bit of news. And, of course, the only news we're actually going to talk about uh, out of the gate is the strike. The strike is here. The strike is happening. Not the old strike, which was just the writers crawling out of their caves, but the new, fabulous, famous strike, the SAG-AFTRA strike. Diane, did you think the actors would actually go on strike? I was a little surprised. At some point, it started feeling really inevitable, but I kept thinking, no, no, the AMPTP is going to offer them a deal. Yes. And if you ask the AMPTP, they will say they did offer them a deal and that it was historic and uh, bigly. Uh, However, if you ask SAG-AFTRA, in particular SAG-AFTRA President Fran Drescher, having the renaissance I always knew we deserved in Fran Drescher's life, uh, no, it was not a good deal. It was a very bad, in fact, perhaps historically bad, bigly bad deal. Yes, some of the details were pretty frightening uh, that they did release. You know, of course, that has been released by SAG-AFTRA and not by the AMPTP, who maintain that they have been more than reasonable. They maintain that without really providing a lot of receipts, I would say. The the big surprise that seemed to be the breakdown at the end of negotiations uh, is this reveal, again, you know, as told by SAG-AFTRA, that the AMPTP came up with a revolutionary AI clause. And there, there has been around the edges of all of the other kind of bread and butter issues in these contract negotiations, uh, you know, the biggest bread and butter issue being residuals for streaming. That that remains, I think, the biggest single issue for both the writers and the actors. But this AI conversation really crept up. And initially, it was about writers not wanting to be replaced by AI. But the twist that got me is the real uh, breakdown happened when the actors were offered an AI deal that if this is, if it is what they say it is, I am stunned that the producers thought that this was a good idea. uh, Because the 
deal, supposedly, was that extras would have their faces fully scanned, their bodies scanned. The extras would do one day of work on set, and then the studio would own that likeness and populate the rest of the scenes that required extras with AI duplicates without additional compensation to the extras who appeared. And and again, we don't know what the real text of this offer was. It could be that, you know, let's say you're an extra hired for a day of law and order. They can scan you and use you for law and order. It also could be that they can scan you and use you for anything in the Comcast, Dick Wolf, Universal, NBC, Paramount empire. You could suddenly be the extra in the background of FBI, Chicago Fire, FBI LA, FBI NCIS. I'm sure those are all Dick Wolf series at this point. Uh, In addition to that scene in Law & Order that you shot exactly one day of. And that, I think, rightly has actors mortified. Because even, uh, you know, big uh, brand name, multi-million dollar per, you know, gig actors, most of them started as background actors in an episode of Law & Order, quite literally in some cases. Right. A lot of a lot of folks have some great early work on Law and Order. Uh, that is one of the joys of the show. But yeah, how completely horrifying. And um, the idea that people should be compensated for their work and likeness does not seem to be controversial one. And yet it seems to be treated as a completely unreasonable request right now. Uh It's just baffling how the AMPTP has played this in terms of PR right now. Like, I feel like they're really losing the PR battle. Surprisingly, I I really think that I, I, I don't know. I'm of two minds here. One mind is I think they were intentionally trying to sink the negotiations if they offered something as unhinged as we want to scan your extras and own them forever. But we don't know if the offer was that extreme. So I'm of another mind, which is they're really out of touch and had no idea how far away from any kind of agreement they were when they offered this, that that they really just thought, well, sure, of course we want to turn you into a CGI replica of yourself and then just cast the CGI replica forever. Duh. Can you imagine saying that to a working actor? Hello, I love what you do and barely make ends meet doing. I'd like to replace it with a sim. It seems to me that perhaps you're right and they really were trying to sink the negotiations maybe they think there's some sort of long game here they can get out of some contracts that they don't like um but it still seems that they will also be facing some sort of financial setback for that too so i'm i'm perplexed by the game here I am equally perplexed, and I think it's worth pointing out how unruly an organization the AMTP, AMPTP seems to be at this point, because, you know, this is all of the producers, essentially, all of the studios. But the problem is that's a group as diverse as Netflix and Amazon on one end, two companies that honestly I think have zero interest in when the strike ends because their business models are completely detached from actually producing things in Hollywood anymore. Netflix is happily producing tons of international content right now that they will repackage and stream Squid Game style in America and in search of another international hit. And they can keep the the wheels turning at Netflix with new original series for quite a while using that international strategy. 
On the flip side, you have your Disney's, your Comcast's, and your Paramount's who have network television networks that will not have any scripted shows in the fall at this rate and and may not have scripted shows in the mid-season. That if you're Disney, you're now risking delays of a whole slate of 2024 movies. There is a cataclysmic cliff for some of these studios eventually. But then some of the studios shrug and go, yeah, I don't care if you drive off that cliff. In fact, if I'm Netflix, watching Disney drive off that cliff might be really good for me. Right. It would be so interesting to be a fly on the wall of the negotiations within the AMPTP. Um, because, to, I mean, we don't really know if how they're making these decisions within the group. Are they voting? Is it a most popular opinion goes, you know? Yeah, they, they supposedly make their decisions by consensus, not by a literal vote, which adds just to the chaos and kind of unknowability of it. It's, it's not like the unions where we know a percentage of union members voted X way versus Y way. We just don't know that with, with the producers. Right. And while that was happening with SAG, uh, while they were voting on whether or not to strike, uh, it did seem like sort of a tedious process. There kept being like the committee has to approve and then there's a vote again, you know, and it took longer than I was expecting. But on the other hand, I really appreciate that because it's um, transparency. And I think that's completely missing on the AMPTP side. 100%, which is an ironic thing for them to be missing, because one of the sticking points in the negotiations for both the writers and the actors is the lack of transparency with viewership data, which of course translates to how much will you pay me on the back end, or how much can I negotiate in my next deal? Uh, The lack of transparency, so ironic that that might wind up biting the AMPTP in the AASS. I just love the acronyms. (laughs) Even the idea um, that one of the SAG demands was that there were um, there was transparency about when people would be paid and that there would be consequences if people were not paid on time because that's been a continuing issue. And they were like, no, we will not pay you on time. We don't intend to pay you on time. I mean, how can you negotiate with someone like that? It's just bad. No, and the things that they that the AMPTP did offer the actors that they were so proud of offering included really I I think low level gimmies like more restrictions on self tapes so that that doesn't become uh, undue labor on on the auditionee but that's kind of a covidy thing more than anything else that I don't think that was really hard for the AMPTP to give up and then they're willing to pay dancers for their rehearsals now, which I'm like, wait, before you you just were like, nah, we don't have to pay the dancers as much to rehearse because that what that's easier than the actors preparing for their role. What, what are you talking about? I just the, the, sure these are things you should give up. Yeah, you should pay the dancers for their work more that. Uh huh. That's it. That's the offer. You have way bigger issues that you at least have to pretend to care about. I agree. And I love those examples that you picked because it shows the diversity of employment within the within SAG-AFTRA, too. You know, you also have stunt people who are um, many of whom are members and on strike. You have yeah, uh, dancers, extras, you know, it's not just Harrison Ford and Meryl Streep who are uh, members of the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, There's 
a, a big range of working folks who are not the massive celebrities who we sometimes consider as like elite Hollywood actors. Yeah. And, and one more takeaway that I keep uh, reminding myself of uh, from the, the large size of SAG. It's one, SAG is significantly larger, about six times bigger than uh, the Writers Guild. And so many of the members are real working actors. And if you haven't had, you know, some tangential life in the theater or the arts or in LA or New York or Chicago, to be fair, where where working actors might be part of your social circle, those are people who rarely make a living acting. And one of the things that SAG-AFTRA does for them is helps them keep getting insurance and benefits through their residuals. The payments you get on the back end contribute towards what you need to to make per year to get health insurance through SAG-AFTRA. And so, you know, when we talk about this sticking point of residuals and uh, more payment on the back end for streaming, I think some people just think, sure, everyone wants to get paid more. But for so many of these actors, it's not just about getting paid. It's about having health insurance, being able to continue living this lifestyle where you might not be fully employed as an actor most of the time, but you're able to cobble together enough of a living that when an acting job comes up, you can take it. And part of that is the consistency of having health insurance so you don't have to throw away your you know, gig job in order to get health insurance in this hellscape we live in. So I just think there is a real important life or death for some people, but at the very least, like kitchen sink, you know, this is a real issue. Uh, that that if, if this was an election, everyone would be talking about these economic bread and butter needs. And so it's easy to get distracted by the, you know, well, David Zaslav makes so much money. Why can't he pay some more? And And that's a great point. But it's also about these working artists being able to continue in the industry. And a big part of that is having insurance. Huge. Yeah. Great point. But that is just one of the many, many great points you might take away as you learn more about the strike. The strike being the first dual strike since 1960. And do you know who was head of SAG-AFTRA in 1960? A real icon of the leftist labor movement. Uh, Ronald Reagan? That's correct. SAG President Ronald Reagan in 1960 led the last actor's strike that occurred during a writer's strike, the last big Hollywood shutdown. And so, you know, there's just so many delicious facts waiting to be found here. How about another one? What are some shows that are able to continue uh, shooting and producing during the SAG after strike? Uh, First up, what is a show you might find on HBO that somehow is allowed to keep shooting? House of the Dragon? Ding, ding, ding. It is House of the Dragon because it is almost an entirely British production. And through a series of complicated negotiations between the British Actors uh, Guild and SAG-AFTRA, the American actors are being told to show up to work anyway because the, the British production is not... Uh, signatory to the AMPTP. More interesting show that is still shooting in America, in <laughs> Utah, is a CW show. Reminder, CW going through a really awkward adolescence as it uh, transforms from the Riverdale network to um, the network that airs the history of Jesus fictionalized called 
The Chosen. That's a show coming to CW this fall that is already uh, got several seasons already shot. It is an independent production, so they are allowed an exemption by being an independent production. But now that they're moving to the CW, they're also uh, hitched up with Lionsgate, which is very much a signatory to the AMPTP. And so they just kind of begged for another exemption. And they were like, we're already in Utah. We're shooting a story about Jesus. Can we please keep shooting it? And SAG after said, you know what? Fine. Nobody wants to go picket in Utah. Uh, yeah, I got to say, they're like, what? Are we going to go strike there? Now, honestly, just the less noise you make, the better. So there are some things still being made. In fact, I have one more for you that I could not be less excited about. The Dune prequel coming to Max eventually. Sounds like we're a ways away from that. That's allowed to continue shooting in Beirut. Which brings us all back around to the international angle. If you've got a show that is a primarily international production, you can probably keep making it. Uh, and that may shift what we see coming, especially, I think, in the, like I said, Netflix, but in all the streaming pipelines, might also bleed into network. Um, but, you know, Diane, as we looked through what is coming up uh, this fall and some of the, uh, let's say, knock-on effects here... One stat popped for me in a sad way, because as you know, and I know, and our listeners know, we're big fans of NBC comedy. And uh, NBC does not seem to be a fan of NBC comedy anymore, Uh, because while this fall's lineup is obviously very anemic, thanks to the strike... The stat that popped for me was last fall's lineup at NBC. Rewind a year ago, and NBC kicked off the fall 2022 lineup with zero comedies. So sad. I I don't know how we missed this a year ago, because it is deeply depressing. Uh, Of course, listeners, you know we watched some mid-season NBC comedies, like the excellent American Auto canceled. Uh, We also were excited to check out Grand Crew canceled. We did enjoy Night Court renewed, but that's it from their their mid-season lineup. They they brought back Night Court and the rest canceled. What happened to NBC? The network that peacocked comedy. They literally said, we peacock comedy. Then they made a streaming service called Peacock and they launched it with a bunch of comedies. And now All of those are canceled, except for Girls 5 Eva, which has been sold off to Netflix. What what happened at NBC? I I guess people just aren't watching comedy on network TV. I mean, there's still some at CBS that do that seem to do okay. That like very specific brand. But NBC comedy, I think, had a slightly different audience, maybe was a little bit more niche and just niche content no longer has a place on network. I I guess the, the, the broad comedy is niche now is a, you know, it says a lot about how the culture has shifted. I, I just found it so stunning uh, on the heels of the Emmy nominations to look at what is comedy on TV now. Because at the same time, the Emmys came out with their nominations. And, and just to, you know, we have to involve the strike and everything. The Emmys will not be happening in September like they usually do. Best guess right now is they might happen in January. Depends on when the strikes end. But they announced the nominations anyway. And the nominees for Best Comedy include such uproariously funny shows as The Bear... 
and the last season of Barry. And Barry, I'm willing to throw them some bone because Barry was originally a comedy. But The Bear has been submitted as a comedy. And I cannot think of a show less funny. But I love it. It's not that The Bear is a bad show. But I truly, would I give it the Emmy for Best Comedy? Not at all. I think at some point they just need to change the categories to be hour and half hour because it seems that's what they're actually doing. I mean, some of it might be just strategy on the choice of the people putting them up for nominations, you know, like maybe Hulu sees the bear and sees that it's a hit, but doesn't want to put it up against, say, the White Lotus, which is in the drama Drama category. category. Or succession, because who does? Yeah. So instead you say, well, I don't want to fight HBO. We'll put it, we'll fight different HBO shows in the comedy category. <laughs> we'll fight Abbott Elementary in the comedy category. Like, how do you vote in that? I do think it's funny. White Lotus wound up in drama. White Lotus snuck into the limited series category its first season. Then when it became not a limited series, the the Emmys, the Academy said, well, you have to be in a non-limited category. So, you know, HBO chose drama. I, I would argue the White Lotus is a, is more of a comedy than The Bear or season four of Barry. Sure. Yeah, I, I just feel that way. Whether or not that's true, I think it's funny that the Academy is so strict about some of these things and so laissez-faire about others. You know, well, honestly, why can't The White Lotus still be a limited series? It's an anthology. Why is Andor nominated for Best Drama? That's Andor has to go up against Succession. Good luck. When Andor is a two-season limited series, there will not be a season three of Andor because, spoiler alert, the character dies in the movie Rogue One. Came out years ago. I can say with some certainty Andor will be a limited series. It's just two seasons, not one. Where are these? Where's the rule book? I demand to see one of those uh, accountants come out with the briefcases and they go, these are the accountants. They made sure everything was tabulated correctly. I want them to open the briefcase and show me the rules. If there were an actual comedy category, are there shows not included that you would put up for it? Because I feel like part of what this does in putting all these you know, super dramatic shows on com in the comedy category is edges out really great comedies. I think that's a great point. I, you know, Minx, for example, would be an excellent nominee in the ca- comedy category and could use the love because it's an excellent show that flew under the radar and got canned by Max. Uh, by the way, season two of Minx premieres this week. Uh, can't wait, but it's on Stars with a Z now, so good luck finding it. Uh, I do, what, Yeah, I agree completely. I would love to see more diversity in these nominations. And if that means, sorry, we can't nominate all 12 shows that aired on HBO this, you know, Sunday at 8 p.m. this year. Okay, pick 10 of them. Agreed. <laughs> Maybe just pick 10. Not the dragon one, but... Uh... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, something like what we do in the shadows, which is sometimes still nominated, but like those, those are great comedic performances and they're actual comedies and, you know, it's not going to win against these other big hitters, but it still should. It should have a shot. It should be nominated. The the nominations share so much love. And one of the big themes this year is it's the same shows over and over and over again in the nominations. Yeah. I mean, as much as I love Succession and The White Lotus, I almost wish we could just like give them all a gold star and like have everyone else fight it out. Because you hate to see also like a show. I mean, 
this is a drama, but like Better Call Saul, like could that end up getting shut out despite years of great content and being like completely critically acclaimed? Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We will eventually find out. Keyword being eventually, whenever the Emmys decide to happen. I just, I'll be on pins and needles for months, months on end. Actors, strike. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, that is not the only business news we wanted to talk about. Not the only shocking things we learned last week. Because it is time for us to bring back one of my favorite segments on this show, whether it's an old Bob or a new Bob. Sometimes on Streamageddon, we have to ask... What's that, Bob? Oh my god! We're having a fire sale! Because Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, not the old Bob, the new Bob, which is the original Bob, he's back. Uh, I should say, we invented What's That Bob when Bob Chapek was head of Disney. If you've already forgotten, there was another Bob, but he is ancient history all the way back in fall of 2022. We're now in the present day where Bob Iger has returned, and Bob Iger has just signed up for yet two more years at Disney. What was supposed to be his brief return is already turning into a full new Iger tenure. Uh, And so he was uh, sort of announcing that he is back in it to win it. He had just signed his extension with the Disney board, and he was at one of those fine business summits being interviewed by CNBC. And we had a what's that Bob moment. Because during that interview, Bob Iger described the uh, television side of Disney, all of ABC, Freeform, FX, as quote unquote, not core to the business. Diane, do you think all of ABC television is not core to Disney. Again, Disney Plus and Disney Plus with Hulu, whatever you want to call all of it. Disney Plus with Star with Hulu. Where do the shows for the streaming service come from, if not from ABC? Well, apparently they're not interested in the parts of the business that make money. Well, they're declining in their money-making capability, though. He said in this interview that they have to acknowledge the reality that network TV is on the decline, which is true in a literal sense. But, I, you know, ABC is huge, first of all. And there is a huge marketing element to being able to, you know, launch a Disney vehicle with a full-court marketing push on ABC, FX, Hulu, Disney+, Plus, Lanier, digital, streaming, everywhere. You can tell me about The Haunted Mansion with Danny DeVito. Uh, you're losing a leg of that uh, strategy if you give up ABC. But then, think about FX. Every hit show on Hulu now is an FX show, even if it never aired on the FSX network. The Bear is an FX show. What We Do in the Shadows is an FX show. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is an FX show. The Patient is an FX show. Every good show on Hulu that is not uh, only murders in the building, basically, is an FX Mm -hmm. show. So what do you mean you might sell FX? It's not core to the business. You just doubled down on Hulu. A year ago, I would have said, well, I guess you're going to jettison it with Hulu. But now Iger loves Hulu. A year ago, Iger hates Hulu. Now Iger loves Hulu. But he hates FX, which makes all the shows for Hulu. I'm what? Who owns what? What what do you want? What do you want, Bob? The new name for our segment. (laughs) It does seem like this 
is supposed to come off as some like cunning. I'm really strategic. Let me drop hints about selling this. Uh, but it doesn't make sense since he just did that with Hulu. Um, I want it's back to this AMPTP thing. I do not know what game they're playing and it doesn't seem like they're playing it as well as they think they are. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. It seems like he's trying to drive up the value, but maybe drum up some interest and then go, well, actually, ABC and FX, they're worth a lot more than people thought. Isn't look at us, investors, stock market. We're not going to sell our valuable assets after all. Our declining valuable assets. Yeah, and there's a risk that everyone else will go, yo, it's worth even less than you think. And, and then it looks even worse for everybody involved. I, I, I'm confused by the strategy there, unless he genuinely does just want to strip mine and sell the television business for parts. The television business is how Bob Iger became CEO of Disney. He came up through ABC. He's an ABC man. What do you mean, Bob? You're going to betray your one true love, ABC? Right. And also the TV business helps the other parts of the business become profitable. I mean, part of the reason that the theme parks have rides is from, you know, the movies and content created on their channels. So it's yeah, I don't know. What if they sell the Disney Channel? I mean, I imagine they'd make them change the name. (laughs) Yeah, there's like a a typo in the contract and the new buyer gets to keep calling it the Disney Channel. Kind of like how Mickey's going to go into the public domain, but only the really old Mickey. This is something where if last week tonight wasn't on strike right now, John Oliver would be buying the Disney Channel. Oh, that'd be awesome. God, God, we need this strike to end for the late night stunts. I didn't know I missed late night this much and here we are. It's hurting. It's hurting. But that's not the only thing that made me go, what's that, Bob? Because there's more that Bob said. Uh, The next part was about ESPN in particular. And it's worth uh, remembering that uh, with the return of Bob Iger, one of the things they did was a reorganization that kind of separated ESPN from the rest of Disney in its own operating unit that could perhaps be easily spun off or sold. And so before this uh, very interesting CNBC interview, everyone thought, well, uh, Disney's going to sell ESPN because ESPN also a declining business, but still makes a ton of money, so you could actually get a good sale price for it. But instead, Bob says, they're interested in a strategic partnership more than anything else for ESPN. It basically reads to me like he wants somebody with really deep pockets, Amazon, uh, excuse me, uh, somebody with really, really deep pockets who might like to spend millions and millions of dollars on content no one watches, <coughs> Amazon. God, something in my throat, uh, to come join them and spend the millions and millions of millions of dollars you need to spend on sports rights, because sports rights are getting really, really expensive. And the problem with ESPN is they don't own the NFL. They don't own the NBA. They have to pay those leagues to air those games, and it costs an arm and a leg. And so, okay, I see there's some logic in saying I want to partner with somebody. But if it's not Amazon, excuse me, it was my delivery of my prime. Uh, it, 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 who? Because I've heard other names floated like Comcast, because Comcast is interested in, you know, sports. They own NBC, which has NBC Sports 
except for the fact that NBC Sports is a competitor to ESPN. So what would Comcast gain by picking up a partnership with their competitor unless they want to kill off NBC Sports? What about someone like YouTube? Would they ever Sure, that could be interesting. YouTube just spent a ton of money on NFL Sunday Ticket. Uh, Do they have the budget to also spend a ton of money on ESPN? And how does that benefit them on the business side? Because with YouTube TV, with like that over-the-top kind of cable package, you could basically get ESPN on YouTube. It's just it's part of that cable package, basically. Right. Yeah, it's, it's hard to think who has the money to partner with Disney on this and the motivation and the willingness to share the spotlight with Disney. Because Disney, at least according to Bob, doesn't really want to sell ESPN. They want a partnership on ESPN. We'll see. And that's all, that's what he says for now. I know. A shifty fellow, that Bob. Yeah. Fool me once. Shame on Bob. Fool me twice. You're not going to Bob again, because that's all the time we have for What's That, Bob? And that is uh, truly all the news we could cram into this emergency episode. Diane. I promised our listeners the teeniest, tiniest little recommendation. So tell me right now. What you watching? It's shameful, Chris, and you know it, and I'm sorry. But I am watching the first five episodes of season two of The Lincoln Lawyer on Netflix, and I love it so much. I'm so silly. I'm so happy for you. You will eventually convince me to watch The Lincoln Lawyer. It's only five episodes. I was concerned when I saw that it was only five episodes in this new drop. But uh, on August 3rd, Netflix is releasing the second half of the second Mm. season. Five more episodes. Thank goodness I only have a few weeks to wait because, as you know, I love a binge. I'm already through my five. I might rewatch them. It's- oh, no. I-, I like this compromise. The split binge. Give me five. Give me a couple weeks to get through that. Then give me the, the rest. I like that. I wonder if it's part like a signal that Netflix is giving up on the binge strategy or at least compromising on the binge strategy or if it's also just strike specific let's drag things out for a bit (laughs) gotta make it count gotta make it count okay well we're running out of time i will give you my recommendation i am not apologizing because there is no shame in loving star trek strange new worlds the sexy kind of goofy retro futuristic star trek on paramount plus Uh, You, I would say, do not need to be a Star Trek fan to enjoy the um, uh, kind of uh, HGTV porn aspect of this show. It's set on the original Enterprise, but imagine if every uh, everybody's quarters on the original Starship Enterprise looked like uh, uh, the let's say, a honeymoon suite at a ski chalet in Aspen. There's shiny wooden surfaces. Everything's curved. Huge high ceilings. You truly, you look at everyone's quarters on this show and you go, is the ship just nothing but palatial suites? There's no bridge. There's no science deck. Every inch of this ship is just another honeymoon suite for Ensign Uhura. And I am there for that. Is it funny? 
Um, is it? It is delightful in the classic okay. Star Trek way of different space adventures. Uh, no spoiler, really, to say the most recent episode uh, that I watched this week is Spock, classic Spock, going to meet his in-laws. And through oh. a wacky hijinks involving, you know, an extraterrestrial being, uh, Spock accidentally gets turned into a human before he has to meet his Vulcan in-laws. What will he do? I mean, that does sound like a classic sitcom. That sounds, I will, I'll, I will check that out. Right? It's the yeah. classic sitcom has been turned into a one-hour prestige sci-fi soap opera, but somehow that works. Uh, hey, the the people need something to watch on Paramount+. Plus. It's so true. They should call NBC and say, I, I know you think sitcoms are dead, but we found the solution. Do you have a one-hour block that you haven't given to Dick Wolf yet? Go for it. Go wild. Well, listeners, we want to know what you're watching as the strike begins to slow the streaming deluge to a trickle. Email us, podcast at streamageddon.com, or you can find me on Mastodon. I am at Chris at fanboys.social. Mastodon, so intuitive, it's full of ats and punctuation. Good luck. Uh, Diane, where can people find you? I'm still on Twitter yes. at Diane Nora. I'm I I have a blue sky. I haven't set it up, but I got a code. I started it, and I also have threads. But dear God, let's stop using some of these, please. Can we just pick so, a few? Twitter yeah. I like, and and Mastodon if you can figure it out. And if you <laughs> just like to talk. Email us a voice memo, podcast at streamageddon.com. We'll feature it on the show. Until then, keep, keep streaming. streaming. I'm, uh, what, what, who owns, what, what, what do you want? What do you want, Bob?